Welcome to Stratford Lutheran's Sermon Podcast. I am Pastor Alex, and this is a podcast that each week will deliver a new sermon message. These are taken directly from our ongoing sermon series, and you can find them in on YouTube if you would like to watch them, but these are here for your listening pleasure. And I am so thankful that you have taken this opportunity to hear this particular sermon. And as always, if you have any questions, you can reach out to me. I am on Instagram at quorum.dale.life. You can reach me at Undying Light Ministries as I host that podcast, Undying Light. And I'm a co-host of a Matter of Truth podcast. This is just a means to allow my sermons to uh, be listened to at your convenience as a listener. And again, I just want to say I am very appreciative of you taking this opportunity to listen. Now, here's this week's sermon. for Dake is taken from Jeremiah, the 31st chapter, beginning at the 31st verse. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I make, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. A responsive reading is taken from Psalm 46. Please respond as indicated in your bulletin. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in people, in trouble. Though its waters roar and foam, through the mountains tremble at its swelling. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. 
he burns the chariots with fire. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The second lesson is taken from Romans, the third chapter, beginning at the 19th verse. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For no man being will... No human being will be justified in his sight by deeds prescribed by the law. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. He did this to show his righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the sin previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and he that he justifies that one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of boasting? It is exalted. By what law? By that of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that a person is justified by faith apart from works prescribed by the law. This is the word of the Lord. Holy Gospel according to St. John in the 8th chapter. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your Father, the Gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. Five hundred and five years ago, Luther sets out to have a discussion. 
It wasn't that he was really seeking to split the church or create this sort of reformation, as it would. He didn't want to start a revolution. He didn't want to create this big controversy. In fact, all he wanted to do was challenge some of the positions of the Catholic Church. And so on October 31st in 1517, Luther sets out to hammer the 95 theses to the door in Wittenberg, the church. And doing this was a common practice. This was a means to uh, open the discussion board so that, you know, they didn't have social media or anything like that. So that was how they handled their discussions. They would nail things to a bulletin board in town and then it would be uh, a further discussion or debate. And that's what initially Luther had sought out to do. He wanted to challenge the Roman Catholic Church on the practice of indulgences. Now, indulgences were a, uh, an item that could be purchased by uh, the congregant to either get them out of purgatory or to get a loved one out of purgatory. And purgatory, in the Roman Catholic belief, is this place of purifying before you go to heaven. So when you die, because you died in sin, you would then have to go and spend a time in purgatory before you could even go to heaven. If you wanted to get through that quicker, you could buy indulgences, or your family members can buy these. But this was basically that in-between state, and the Roman Catholics had used this for the better half of 500 or so years, teaching this. Obviously, in this culture, there was nobody who could read Latin except the priests who read the scripture, and that was the only copy of the Bible that they had was the Latin Vulgate in the 1500s, until Luther translates it to German later. But it's interesting that Luther sat and saw some of these discrepancies in the church, and that was the one thing that he sought out to have a conversation about. It wasn't about the the teaching of works or the or any of the steps to, of the sacraments that the Roman Catholic Church had. It wasn't about any of that. It was the act of indulgences. And if you read all 95, they all have something to say about the selling and purchasing of them. So as he does this, instead of a debate that Luther had sought, he's really met with opposition. And so much, in fact, that this didn't just end in 1517. In fact, it carries on through uh, many years. To the point in 1520, he is summoned to the Diet of Worms. This was a meeting held in Worms, Germany. That's why they called it the Diet of Worms. Interesting name, but that's how they went with it. And he was brought before the Roman Catholic leaders in Germany, and he was challenged to forsake all of his writings, burn everything he had, and ask for repentance He was to ask and relinquish everything that he had taught. Now, in, by 1520, we had known that Luther had taught through the book of Romans, and he had reached that pivotal verse in the first chapter where we are justified by faith. And that was the spark that Luther needed to really stand firm against the Roman Catholic teaching. But as he summoned it to this diet, this conversation, this debate, it was more or less a one-sided conversation. The Roman Catholics were standing there demanding that he repent of his prior teaching. 
As Luther decides that he needs at least a day to think about this, he goes back to where he was staying and pours himself into prayer. And he spends all night praying, and he comes to the debate again the next morning, and they ask him, Luther, do you repent of your prior... They called it heresy, because in their eyes it was a heretical teaching. So they had labeled him, essentially, a heretic right out of the gate. And Luther goes and says, I cannot, for my conscience is captive to the word of God. And according to some traditions, at the very end of his little uh, speech, if you would, he stands and he leaves it with this, here I stand, I can do no other. Here I stand. This has been kind of the, 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 the battle cry of the Lutheran church for the next 500 or so years. Here I stand, captive to the word of God. See, Luther, in his 95 theses that he nailed to the door in Wittenberg, he started the Reformation. Yes, there were people who had left sparks before him. We could go back through and look at John Wycliffe and John Huss and all these other great people throughout time. But it was because of what Luther did in Germany that sparked the German Reformation. And if you kind of follow these timelines that you can find on the Internet, you'll find how Luther starts, and then it kind of, there's a, a new branch that comes out, and we have the other reformers that go on to form the Baptists and the Methodists and the Presbyterian and the Anglican churches and all that. But Luther wasn't out to seek to make his own church. He was out to call the church back to the truth that which is taught in Scripture. It wasn't that he wanted to make his own religion, and that's what the Roman Catholics accused him of, calling him a heretic, labeling him that. And then after this diet of worms, he is excommunicated from the church. And in that time period, if you were caught with any sort of doings in that, you would be uh, executed. So Luther essentially is given a death sentence by the Roman Catholic Church with his excommunication. But here he stands calling the church back to what the church had originally started out as. This was the apostolic church. These were the apostles. These were the men who went out into the world to preach the gospel. And in those 1,500 years since that time period to when Luther comes on the scene, the church had kind of swayed away from it. They had moved more towards a works-based righteous teaching in this kind of demonstration that you have to do all of these things in order to make it to heaven. Luther sought to bring the purity of the gospel back into limelight. From Luther, we have so many great theologians over the next 500 years that have allowed us to continue to stand firm on what Luther had originally sought. That was to call the church back to the original scripture. Not to allow the influence of humanity or the humanists or any of the philosophy that had swept into some of the other Protestant movements, Luther was authentic in calling us back to the clear explanation of Scripture. And so each year we celebrate Reformation Sunday. We acknowledge it. We, we remember what Luther had done. And really this is a great acknowledgement or remembrance of the risk that Luther took some 505 years ago. 
In all of the church calendar, we are taking a break from the ordinary Sundays, which is green, and we now are celebrating this extraordinary Sunday in red. And this is a pivotal morning, a pivotal day in the history of the church. Because from this moment in 1517 sparks the Protestant Reformation. From that moment, we have the church that calls back to the original scripture. And that is the battle cry for the Lutherans for the, throughout the ages. If you were to actually take and go and read like the book of Concord, which is the Lutheran confession, and you were to sit and just ponder through the Augsburg confession and the, and the apology and all of the things that are in there, the large and small catechisms, small called articles and all that. If you were to just sit and ponder through it, all of it, every single thing is called back to scripture. It is saturated in the Bible's text. Every single statement given in the Augsburg Confession is backed and supported solely by Scripture. It is not by human reasoning or human logic. It is by Scripture alone. And that is why on this day and every day, every Reformation Sunday going forward in the future, we will call back to remember this risk that Luther took. And I find it even more pivotal because the text that is given to us in today's lectionary is solely about truth. It is about the truth of the gospel in its purest form. Apart from all the hoops and ladders and and steps that we could take to try and logically explain certain things, no, this is the gospel in its purest form. It is by faith alone that you are justified. It's not by your works. It is not by your good merit, your good behavior, however many times you pray a day or read your Bible every day. It is by faith alone. It is the very basic fundamental belief that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the grave. If you believe that, you will be saved, as Paul tells us in Romans 10. So this gospel in today takes us back to the notion of truth, and we have Jesus making this statement to the Jews who had believed him. He makes the statement, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He goes on to mention that we are set free due to this truth. We are no longer slaves to sin. We note this in the brief order of confession that we are no longer slaves to sin. We have been freed. We have been given that freedom. We have been forgiven. And this is the very passage that we often recite. But yet since the fall in Genesis chapter 3, all people have been slaves to sin. This includes you and me. It is all people across all time. And it is because of this sinful nature that we are enslaved to sin. And yet, in in that enslavement, we are often unsure of our present or future status. We have no assurance. If we just sit and think about all the terrible things we've done in our life, how can we possibly have any assurance? Because the flesh will continuously drag you back into sin. 
It will do this every chance it gets. You will stumble and fall over and over. As Jesus goes on to say, the slave does not continue in the house forever. Just like the Jews are balking here at Jesus, he makes this divine statement that it is only freedom through him and his teaching. And we fall into the same trap as the Jews. How could this man, who lived some 2,000 years ago, possibly still be in the business of saving sinners? How could this Palestinian Jew possibly forgive my sins? How could he really even care for us? Maybe that thought has crossed your mind once or twice or many times. I've sinned so great, uh, Jesus possibly can't forgive me. He doesn't, he, he doesn't know what I've done. He doesn't know the past that I've lived. I'm not worthy of forgiveness or this freedom that he declares. But yet the beauty is ever-present right here in our text. And I just happened to finish a book uh, earlier this week. It was a fascinating journey through the Old Testament and it was a particular dive into the character of Jacob. And as I was reading this, these statements kept being reused over and over in the book, and I just it was imprinted in my mind, the God we serve isn't the God of the dead. Right? Because see, when God comes and he makes a proclamation or a statement to any of the patriarchs, what does he say? I am the father, or I am the God of Abraham. Isaac, and Jacob. Those were the patriarchs who have been long dead. But the God we serve is a God of the living. While their bodies are in the ground, their spirits, their souls are with God, alive, understanding, fully capable of seeing all of His glory. And we have that written for us throughout even the Gospels. That this Jesus, this man that lived 2,000 years ago, is God in the flesh. And if this is God in the flesh, then he is the God of the living. And that doesn't just end with his ascension to heaven in Acts. This is a continual through all time because the promises that he gives covers all of time. It's not just a promise given to the immediate disciples and apostles and Jews who had followed him. It's a promise given that has carried on into the formation of the church. This promise that salvation only comes through him because it is through Jesus that we have means to access the Father. It is only through him. He is the only one who can purify his church. He is the only one who can set you free. So what is truth? This question is famously asked by Pontius Pilate, just before Jesus is crucified. And I want to spend just a moment looking at that opening comment that Jesus says. He says, if you abide in my word. What does this mean? Does this mean that you are to walk diligently and hold up to every single command that he gives? If we take the word abide and just look at the definition, it merely means to accept what is told to you. To abide in the word of Jesus is to accept 
what Jesus has told you. Now, as I usually do, I always go back the day before I preach and I scrutinize through my notes and I try to find things that just kind of don't sit well with me. And I actually had a, a whole section right here that was to turn us back to the Old Testament and turn us to the New Testament and see all these laws and commands that are given in the Old and New Testament and to really address this concept of do you hold up to any of this or have you violated any of this? I ended up scrapping that. Because what I find here is in the very essence of the words of Jesus, they are sharper than a two-edged sword. They pierce us right in the heart. Because what it is telling us is the entirety of Scripture. If you abide in my word. But does this yet draw to mind? Well, maybe, you know what, Lord, I can do some things. I can't do all of things. So maybe if we just kind of curve this a little bit and alter that and maybe just ignore this, we can create some sort of subjective Christianity. Because then it's comfortable for us to follow Jesus. He fits our lifestyle and our needs and our sinful flesh. But this abiding, I want to give you a little bit different perspective. It's not the understanding of following diligently every single law and command. Yes, it has that in it. But at its core, to abide means to continuously hear His Word preached. Continuously, over and over, you are reminded of who Jesus is. At the very basic part of salvation, at our very most basic understanding, it is the proclamation of faith. And hearing that over and over and over is the beginning of the abiding in His Word. And then from that, everything can cast down. We can start to look at our good works. We can start to see our behavior being altered and changed. We can see how Jesus is working through us to have compassion and mercy and love for our neighbor. All of that comes by hearing the words over and over and over that you are forgiven. The words of Jesus in this text are sharp enough. I don't have to dig back through those passages that I've had mentioned, I don't have to call about and and acknowledge certain sins or anything. His words are on point here. In fact, if we rewind just a little bit in John, we get this beautiful I am statement, one of seven that he gives in the Gospel of John, that he is the light of the world. John actually will go through his entire Gospel explaining that. And he sets it up in the prologue of the first chapter, those first 18 verses, where we are given that statement that this is the light of the world and darkness cannot overcome it. So Jesus is the light of the world. And he blatantly tells the Pharisees that when he goes away, they will seek him and not find him. And then he goes on to rebuke the Pharisees shortly after he makes this statement in our gospel reading today. In fact, what he tells the Pharisees is that your father is the, is the devil. See, he doesn't say that God the Father is your father. He says, no, the devil is your father. Because that is who you serve. And yet he does this without having to draw upon other passages. He just simply states the truth. 
Because Jesus, being God, knows their hearts, knows their desires, their motives and intentions. He knows them better than they know themselves. And further along, in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes that statement that is so profound, before Abraham was, I am. Further adding truth to this passage that we have in front of us today, that this man... This Jesus was much more than a prophet or a good teacher. But he is the living Son of God. He is the only begotten Son of God who willingly came to live with us, to suffer for us, and to die for us, only to be raised from the grave on the third day and to appear before many men, then to ascend to the right hand of God. That is the truth. That is what we abide in. And I couldn't help but really sit and dwell on this. A particular Hebrew professor, Chad Bird, who I follow on social media, made this post earlier this week, and it says this, Jesus, I believe. And he goes on to list all of these things in his prayer about how wretched we are. Because we, we believe, but then we stumble into every single facet of sin possible. And so he makes a statement, Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help me in the moments that I doubt you. Help me in the moments that I am uncertain. Jesus, help me believe the most basic things. And often I find we can get into this tendency of getting lost in the weeds and we are seeking after any sort of thing or stuff in this life that doesn't draw us back to Jesus. It's not fruitful for our walk with Christ. And I think this prayer draws us back to the reality that we are, in fact, sinful beings. We are walking and limping along in this life, sometimes crawling. Sometimes we're, we're halted. But we take tiny steps forward each day. We have this privilege because of who Jesus is to cry out to him in our walk so that he will be with us and remind us of the assurance that we have that it doesn't come through the good works or the indulgences that we purchase or any sort of thing like that, but it comes by faith alone, the very basic piece of faith. That is what gives us the assurance. It's not inward. It's extra nose. It's outside of ourselves. It's at the cross. And so this Reformation Day, the call, draws us back to the truth. A day that Luther had no idea would spark to be the greatest separation in the church history. A day that places the emphasis on his holy word. As Luther had sought to call us back to that. The emphasis is knowing who Jesus is and knowing that only through him can salvation be granted? Because then, through the rest of the Gospel of John, the more I am statements unfold, we know that He is the way, the truth, and the life. And then only through Him can we come to the Father. It is only through Jesus that salvation is granted. That is the freedom of truth. That truth being Jesus Christ. To abide in His Word is to believe. To abide in His Word is to hear it repeated over and over and over again. And after that, yes, all the good works come into play. 
And they're all great and needed. But the very essence of abiding in His Word is to believe in His Word. And that freedom that He grants is not freedom to live however we want, but it's freedom from the bondage of sin, death, and the devil. It is freedom that allows us to love our neighbor. It is freedom that allows us to continuously be reminded of the assurance of salvation. And as this proclamation goes, this salvation is given to all people. It is for all people across all